0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm your host, Sarah Ivry. Today, a conversation with a cartoonist who made us laugh and cry this year. For several weeks now, critics have been rolling out their top 100 or 20 or 10 whatever books of the year. It's not a science, obviously. It's just a matter of taste. And I don't particularly pay great attention to these lists, but... I confess I was delighted to see the graphic memoir from Roz Chast, it's called Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant, appear on so many of these lists. You might know Roz Chast's singular style from her New Yorker cartoons. She has wry depictions of life's daily humiliations and grievances. In this new book, she dives into what many of us seem to think of as the ultimate humiliation. I mean, aging and death, that is. In this case, it's not her own decline she depicts, but that of her parents. The book is both poignant and hilarious, as was the conversation we had with her when she graciously allowed our producer, Julie Subrin to make a trip to her home in Connecticut this past spring. Here's their conversation.
1: So Roz, this book is a memoir, and it does touch at different points on your childhood growing up in this Jewish enclave in the middle of Brooklyn, Um, but mostly it's really about your parents' decline in their 90s, when they went from being what you describe as those hale and hearty people, older people in commercials who can take care of themselves and are very self-sufficient, to a much more incapacitated kind of old person that we really don't like to think about very much. So I'm wondering what made you want to delve into that land of the infirm after you had already spent, you know, five or six years in it with your parents. It seems like a really brave thing to do, but also maybe a little bit masochistic.
2: Um, I think I wanted to understand it a little bit more. And it was so such an unknown country to me, the whole... uh area of that part of old age, I think I have a cartoon in the book where I really did think that it went like you went from being a sort of spry older person and then one day you took to your bed because you were like not so spry anymore and then three weeks you know later you developed a death rattle and then you were out of there and I really did not know and for some people it may be like that you know and then there's people that they get hit by a bus and that's it you know when they're 45 but I didn't know about this long long decline and what it entailed, and also what it what it was having to be more involved and take care of all that stuff. And I'm not really good with that. I mean, I don't know if anybody is, but I'm really, I hate that stuff. I don't like body stuff. I don't like paperwork. And this involved all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so was it masochistic? I think I just wanted to understand it more. And sometimes it was sort of funny. And... um I think that was, for me, the hook, that, you know, the things about it that were funny and also that were really interesting. And that's what sort of pulled me along. I wanted to express some of that.
1: Were you making drawings and cartoons along the way?
2: Yes. Um, I've always used some aspects of my life in my work. I uh, submit weekly groups of cartoons to The New Yorker, um, all of us on staff, we submit a group of cartoons every week from which they select what they're going to buy. And uh, I I use things for my life. And sometimes it was something with my parents. So yeah, I was, there were a lot of cartoons in the book that I was doing all the way along about my parents. And then there were a lot, there's probably most of it is stuff that I did afterwards.
1: Mm -hmm. You depict your parents with a lot of affection, but also with brutal honesty your mother, you show us, had a terrible temper, and your father was an extremely anxious man who was daunted by day-to-day operations, like trying to figure out how to use a toaster or how to like, make his front door unlock with a sticky key. Um, and then there are the humiliations of their final years, which you also do not whitewash at all. And you show your father just incessantly kind of yammering away, driving you crazy at times, and your mom has that really devastating episode where she loses control of her bowels in the the morning. Um, And I'm wondering, was it hard to figure out how honest to be and also to figure out a balance between sort of the horror of it all and sympathy, humor, just all these different elements that you managed to get in there? Um, I think, yeah.
2: I, uh, I I wanted to be as honest as possible about it. Um, I think because there was so much about this that I didn't know, and maybe it would have been better if I had known a little bit more, or if talking about these things was more a part of what we talk about.
1: When did you first start drawing?
2: I think I was really little, around three, something like that, maybe younger.
1: And when you were drawing then, was it Were your drawings already funny? When did you connect drawing with cartooning or humor?
2: Um, I think it was a sort of gradual process, but um, one of the things for me was um, when I was... uh, About nine or ten, I subscribed to Highlights for
1: Children. My parents got that for me,
2: and um, that's
1: an educational magazine. Yeah,
2: it's like it's always in dentist's office. But you know, my parents were in the educational system, and they have like, you know, Goofus and Gallant, and you know, I forget other comic strips. But they all have like a little moral message in them, and they had stories, and uh, they had something called Our Own Page, where kids sent in drawings, and. I really, really wanted to get a drawing on that page. And it seemed like most of the little girls that got drawings on the page drew horses. And they drew horse heads. They drew themselves riding a horse. They drew horses in poses, you know, stately, prancing, standing on their hind legs, you know, whatever. Uh, You know, and and they had flowing manes. And, you know, they were very realistic. Their veins sticking out on their neck. And I didn't like horses. I didn't care about them. I never had a fantasy about having a pony. I lived in an apartment. Um, Anyway, uh, one day I decided if I'm going to, I was about 10, maybe 9, and I thought, I really have to learn how to draw horses. I better get on the stick about this. And I filled up a sketch pad of, I made myself draw horses, and they were terrible. And after the sketch pad was, and I named them, and they were whitey and brighty and all this. And um afterwards I looked at them and they were really bad, but they were really funny. And they what made What was funny about them? They were smiling, they had a lot of teeth. I had no idea how to connect the head to the body, but there was just something about them. I don't, I couldn't, I don't even really know. I just know that I looked at them, and I was laughing and laughing and, like, laughing to crying. And and just, um, it, first of all, like, to make yourself laugh like that almost accidentally is a great thing. I mean, I live for that. And second of all, it was really interesting to, you know, I think, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think later I thought... It doesn't have to be a perfect horse, but it can be something. And if it's funny, that's
1: sort of interesting, you know. I wonder where you got your sense of humor. I mean, your parents are funny as you portray to them me. to you and to <laughs> the rest of us. But um, would, would you attribute any of your humor to their senses of humor? Or? Not really.
2: Not really. I think it's we have an end run of,
1: around yeah. their seriousness. Yeah, serious.
2: end run is a yeah
1: good way to put it. Um, Your parents are portrayed so vividly in here. Um, I want to sort of bring them to life for our listeners. I was wondering if you could pick a panel here and maybe read it out loud and give a little bit of visual description because they can't see what we're talking about, just to get them across.
2: Okay. Um, uh, This cartoon is Afternoon at the Place. It's, um, my parents were at an assisted living place about 10 minutes from me, and that enabled me to visit them uh, fairly frequently. So in this cartoon, I'm bringing my father a cheese danish. And it starts out with me. Look, Dad, I brought you a cheese danish. And my dad says, my favorite. And he's sitting on the couch with my mother. And he says, honey, care to share this with me? And she says, no. No. Because I ate my lunch, unlike some people who were so busy socializing that they neglected their lunch, which is why some people are hungry now. My father says, I'll cut it into quarters. That way, if you change your mind, you can have some. My mother says, as I told you, I'm still full from lunch. He says, then I'll cut it in half and I'll eat one half and put the other half away for later. And my mother, she says to me, watch, he'll forget and he'll eat both halves. And then she turns to him just to make sure he is hearing this and says, and then some people won't be hungry for dinner. And then I say to her, I don't get why you're the boss of dad's Danish ingestion. And I'm hoping to have inserted some like level of rationality into this. And my father says, Actually, your mother's right. She's a brilliant woman. Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: There's these expressions of your dad that come in pretty much every panel where there's this sweat just breaking off <laughs> of him and just <laughs> feel his sense of anxiety about all these little moments. Constant, constant. He was he was the most
2: anxious person I have ever met in my life. He was a chain anxietyer. Like, he would go from one anxiety to the next, and sometimes they would be totally mysterious. I remember one time he was visiting, and he was sitting at the counter in the kitchen, and um, I uh, was opening up a bottle of seltzer, and he looked at me, and he was, I have to give some background here, that he was a French and Spanish teacher in high school before he retired, and he said, cuidado, which means be careful, and I said, what? What am I doing? And he suddenly launched onto this whole thing about how he knew somebody once who was opening up a bottle of seltzer and the cap flew off and went into their eye and blinded them. And I was like, Dad, it would be really complicated if that happened because I wear glasses. You know, first of all, it's not going to happen. Second of all, I mean, my hand is on, there's not that much pressure. It's not like, you know, it's like nuclear powered or something. but, But he was like that. And then five minutes later, he'd be on to something else. Uh, he he was very, very anxious, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Getting back to the memoir, there are parts that are very serious, and there's no humor at all, in particular the set of drawings that you have at the end of your mother on her deathbed. Um, beautiful spare drawings and no commentary. I wonder what it felt like to put yourself out there like that. A little
2: weird. Um, A friend of mine um, asked me recently with this book and talking about it, she said, you must feel like your pants are down 24-7, and I thought that was pretty apt. There is something that's very, um, it's much more personal, I think, than the cartoons, which are pretty personal, but this is really much more specific
1: yeah, there's yeah, the, there's a silence to those pages, whereas the other stuff has a laugh, not a laugh track, but there're more comedy. jokes. Yeah, but yeah. It, there is some that stillness there that's really striking. Yeah, it was it? Well, those
2: drawings, there, it was very still. I mean, I would go to her room, and I there was really, it was quiet. We didn't talk. She was done with that. And um, I just drew her. That was it. So,
1: Did making this book or going through this experience change how you think about your own aging or dying?
2: I certainly think about it more. I think that is one thing. When your parents are gone, it doesn't take a lot of imagination (laughs) to realize where you are on that ladder. You know, it's like suddenly there's nobody there ahead of you, and you're next. And it did make me think about uh, extreme old age and how much I don't want to be there. But on the other hand, how do I know now from the perspective where I'm sitting what it feels like to be where my mother was at. I mean, she always said, I don't want to be a pulsating in her inimitable, most Elizabeth Chast assistant principal voice. I don't want to be a pulsating piece of protoplasm. Um, and yet she became a pulsating piece of protoplasm at the end, you know, at, at, at this phenomenal cost. And that was another thing that was just so shocking, which I know we don't talk about because it's so gross, but the expense of it is just horrifying, also kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, there is a sort of like humorous aspect in a kind of sick black comedy sort of way. Can you draw that out for me? Um, well, I think about my parents. I think about the patched oven mitts. I think about how... They really knew the value of a dollar. They worked very hard for it. And then at the end, they're in a place where, for my mother, the last few months, and it was their money. You know, it was so it was, and I'm glad they had it. Uh, And they were getting good care, but it was like $14,000 a month. You know, it was bats. And and this was from my this was not intensive care. This was not, you know, having a private nurse or anything like that. It was just my mother lying in bed, drinking insure, being in a depends, pooping out the insure, getting cleaned, and then doing this again. It was insane. But how do I know what it will feel like to be ninety seven? And not wanting to die. And maybe you don't. Maybe you just
1: say, this is okay. Do you, did you arrive at some sort of Zen understanding about these things? <laughs> no, not
2: at all. Not at all. Um, I would say the most Zen thing that happened, I don't know if that's the right word, probably not, was the when my father died, it was pretty instantaneous all of the ways that he had driven me bananas that they just evaporated and it was really surprising to me because i didn't have any idea of what i would feel like after he died and he was the first of my parents to die i didn't know whether i would be sad i didn't know whether i'd be relieved i didn't know what i i would feel and the main feeling i had was how much i loved him and how grateful i was and it really took me by surprise um so that was a sort of zenish thing um different with my mother so no i don't I, i i don't have any more understanding of any of this i mean it still seems the whole thing seems uh totally bizarre and rigged and horrible to me on almost every level. There's like nothing good about it, (laughs) Um, but it's inevitable. and, And there are some funny things, or I've found some funny things in it along the way.
1: Roz Chast, thank you so much for speaking with us. Well, thank you. Roz Chast's
0: memoir is called, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant?, it's out from Bloomsbury. She spoke with Julie Subrin this past April. We've got a slideshow of some of the cartoons they talked about on our website, and that website is, of course, tabletmag.com. Special thanks goes to Pike Malinovsky, who recorded this interview. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivory. We thank you so much for listening. All of us here at Tablet want to wish you a Happy New Year. All the best in 2015, and we hope to bring you lots more great conversations then.